So I'm going to start off with a little story. It's good, so good to see you guys. I, what, what, <laughs> what's that dance where you like you kick your legs out this way, like the happy dance or whatever? Sometimes I come here and I just like dancing. I just love this church. I love what it means to me and my family. And we're so fortunate. Such a great church. I hope you feel that way too. Let me start off with a story. Sir Samuel Baker relates the following incident. Many years ago, when Egyptian troops first conquered Nubia, a regiment was destroyed by thirst in crossing the Nubian desert. The men, being upon a limited allowance of water, suffered from extreme thirst. And deceived by the appearance of a mirage that exactly resembled a beautiful lake, they insisted, they insisted on being taken to its banks by the Arab guide. It was in vain that the guide assured them that the lake was not real. And he refused to lose precious time by wandering from his course. Words led to blows and he was killed by the soldiers whose very lives depended upon his very guidance. At length, the delusion vanished. The fatal lake had turned to burning sand, raging thirst and horrible despair alongside a pathless desert and the murdered guide. Lost. Lost. All lost. Not a man ever left the desert, but they were subsequently discovered parched and withered corpses by the Arabs that were sent to search for them. Crazy story. It's kind of silly, right? I mean, you got words that were spoken, truth that wasn't listened to, trust that wasn't there, a guide that people didn't follow in very life and death because of it. <laughs> That's Psalm 1. Let's read Psalm 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Let's read it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked, they're not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us because we know that from you, Lord, all good things come. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So, the takeaway, the big idea that I want us to come away with is that the Lord delights in those who delight in his word. The Lord delights in those who delight in His Word. It's worth noting, there's 150 Psalms, that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they set the tone for the remaining of the Psalms. They're like an introduction, if you will, of all the Psalms. Psalm 1 and 2. 
these two psalms direct us to two very important foundational aspects of our faith. And they also serve, again, as an introduction. Psalm 1 is a psalm about the Torah, the law of God, God's Word. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 1. How blessed is the man, jump to two, who delights in the law of the Lord. That's what that says, right? How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's Torah. Look at the end of, verse t- uh, of, the end of Psalm 2, the very last part of verse 12. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's Yahweh. We got Psalm 1 as Torah, God's Word, and in Psalm 2 we got Yahweh, God Himself. The Lord points us to His Word, and the Word points us to the Lord, always. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. There's a pretty important document that came out in Exodus 20 called the Ten Commandments. Psalm 20, or, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. This is Yahweh and Torah. Then God spoke all these words, saying this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me, Yahweh. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Yahweh. Verse 6, But I'm going to show loving kindness or blessedness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Torah, God's law, God's word. John Calvin masterfully puts it this way. God is only rightly served when His law is obeyed. It is not left to every man or every woman to frame a system of religion according to their own judgment. But the standard of godliness is to be taken from the Word of God. Yahweh and Torah. Let me tell you how gracious and how cool and how awesome our God is. In the ancient Near East Bible times, in the Mesopotamian culture, people were polytheistic. They weren't necessarily monotheistic. And that means they believed in or worshipped more than one God. At times, these gods, small g, seemed angry. And at times, they seemed to be okay. There were many rituals and sacrifices made in order to appease the gods. We've heard this before. We've seen it in movies. What's missing? Does anybody want to take a guess what's missing with these gods? Nobody knows what makes them happy or sad or angry. There's no way to know. There was no way for anyone to know what did or did not offend these gods. Yahweh, our Lord, our King, in His justice, in His kindness, and in His love, provides us with His law. What a generous, kind thing for Him to do. God's law would have been and should be for us received as a blessing and not a burden. Amen? 
1 John 5, 1-3 says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. But this we know, that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? They are not burdensome. Doesn't mean they're always easy. But they're not burdensome. So, let's go back to Psalm 1. I think it's helpful to provide ourselves with a quick outline of Psalm 1. I think there's three things going on. I think Psalm 1 and 2 are the first part of the outline, then Psalm 3 and 4, and then Psalm 5, uh, 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, right? In verses 1 and 2, there's two types of people. Those who delight in the world, that's verse 1, and those who delight in the law. That's what verses 1 and 2 say, right? So there's two parties. That's, that's outline number one, two parties. The righteous and the wicked is how they're de- declared or described in verse 6, right? So verse 1 is the wicked and verse 2 is the righteous. Do you guys see that? So that's point number one. There's two people or two parties, the righteous and the wicked, the wicked and the righteous. In verses 3 and verses 4, there's two products. Two things are produced. Verse 3 is fruitfulness. Verse 4 is wastefulness. Verse 3, it says like a tree, right, that produces fruit. In verse 4, the wastefulness is like chaff. So there's two parties, verse 1 and 2, right, the wicked and the righteous. There's two products, fruitfulness and wastefulness. And there's two promises in verses 5 and 6. Paradise for those who obey Yahweh and Torah and perish for those who do not. That's Psalm 1 right there. That's the outline of Psalm 1. Amen? In order for Psalm 1, and quite frankly, much of Scripture, in order for that to make sense, we need to discuss a basic, huge principle understood during Bible times that needs to be understood today if you don't understand it already. At the end of verse 3, what happens to the righteous person? He, what's the very last two words? He does what? He prospers, right? That's the last two, I think that, right? End of verse 3, he prospers. What about the end of verse 6? They perish. This principle, it's going to be on the screen, is called the retribution principle. The retribution principle says this, the righteous will prosper, the wicked will suffer. We've heard the term, crime doesn't pay, right? You heard that right? It's the same, crime doesn't pay. Is that true? If some of us, you know, have done some criminal activity in our past, hey, good morning, Avery. <laughs> right? Crime pays. But it's not forever, right? But, you, but ultimately, crime doesn't pay, right? That's, that's what we understand, Right? It pays, but it doesn't pay. In the long term, crime does not pay. In the long term, the righteous will prosper and the wicked will perish. Is that true? Yes, that's true. That's the retribution principle. Where does it come from? Well, clearly it comes from God's Word. Turn to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Deuteronomy 27, a couple of verses in 27, then a few in 28. Verse 1. Then Moses 
and the elders of Israel charged the people thus way. Keep all the commandments which I command you today. Verse 2. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord's going to give you, that you're going to set up stones, you're going to coat them with lime, and you're going to write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to this land flowing with milk and honey. Jump to verse 15 in Deuteronomy 27. How does verse 15 start? Cursed. Verse 16. Cursed. Verse 17. 18. 19. 20. 21. 22. Cursed. 23. Cursed. 24. Cursed. 25. Cursed. 26. Cursed. Here's the good news. Chapter 28. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Verse 3, what's the first word? Blessed. Verse 4, blessed. Verse 5, blessed. Verse 6, blessed. Verses 7 through 12, I'm not going to read, but it's just more blessing in a paragraph form. In verse 13, pick up there. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you only will be above and you will not be underneath if you listen to the commands of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully. And do not turn aside what I'm commanding you to the right or to the left and go after other gods and serve them. Yahweh and Torah. God's Word and God Himself. Amen? I love how gracious God is with His Word. So here's, here's where it might get a little tricky. Daniel, can you put back up the retribution principle on the screen? Thank you. The corollary, the corollary, similar but not the same, to this principle is this. If a person prospers, then they must be what? Righteous. If a person prospers, they must be righteous. That's not what this says. But this is how we can get confused in our theology, if you will. Or, if a person suffers, they must be what? Wicked. Let me explain. The retribution principle is, as we just saw, generally and essentially supported by Scripture. But the corollary is not. It's not given support in Scripture. Just because a person prospers doesn't mean they're righteous, and just because their um, suffering doesn't mean they're wicked. But it was clearly believed to be true by many Israelites. That was the problem in the book of Job. His friends were a little dazed and confused, saying, Job, you must have done something wrong. You're suffering. There's got to be wickedness in your life. Not true. You guys get that? So the corollary is simply not true. It must be rejected. But the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer always in God's timing. The book of Job does this. Here's what's cool. What the book of Job does is it affirms God's intention of operating by the retribution principle. But it implies that we cannot predict how or when it's going to happen. Does that make sense? God affirms His intention to operate by the retribution principle. But we cannot predict how or when it's going to operate. It should be accepted as an explanation of what God is like. 
He delights in prospering the righteous and guarantees that the wicked will be punished. It cannot be used, however, to demand action from God or used to figure out what type of person someone is. Does that make sense? It's good stuff. Verse 1 and 2, back in Psalm 1. Let's read verse 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The Psalms open with blessed. That's a beatitude. Kind of like we find on the Sermon on the Mount. Not kind of, exactly like we find on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is found 26 times in Psalms and 8 times in Proverbs. Blessed is he that fears the Lord. That's one. Blessed is he that considers the poor. Blessed is the man whom the Lord chastens. And here in Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The desire of our Father's heart is to bless. That's the desire of His heart. God's intention and desire to bless humanity is a central focus of His covenant relationships. We're so fortunate. Blessed is not simply the word happy, though it contains happiness, but it's much, much, much stronger. It is to enjoy God's special favor. God's goodness and God's grace. It is to experience the gracious character of God. Sometimes people like, you know, you ask somebody, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm blessed. That's cool, man. That's great. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I want us to say, when somebody, how's it going? Say, I'm experiencing the gracious character of God. Like, that, right? That's really what it is. It might blow some people away. You know, you say you're blessed. I don't know. People maybe make up whatever that means, but I'm experiencing the gracious character of God. That's what it means to be blessed, to experience His gracious character in our lives. Two distinct ideas are present. First, a blessing was a public declaration of a favored status with God. Do we have a favored status with God? Absolutely. We are called as His own. Our status is favorable. Second, the blessing uh, endowed power and prosperity and success, but the blessing served as a guide and motivation to pursue a course of life within the blessing. We tend to want the blessing, but we don't want to pursue pursue a life within the blessing, pursue a course of life within the blessing. Does that make sense? The blessing is attached to the course of life that God blesses us with. That's where the blessing resides. His choice for us, His desires for us, not our own. I'll take the blessing, but I don't want anything else. Terms for blessing occur over 600 times in the Old Testament. Associated with blessing is the idea or action of kneeling to receive a blessing. If to some degree that this makes any sense, if if receiving a blessing is bent in the elbows, what needs to come first? What needs to be bent first? The knees. We love to bend the elbows. Oftentimes we don't like to bend the knees. We've got to bend our knees, know who our Lord and Savior is, what He demands from us, how to walk in His ways, and He'll bless us beyond our wildest dreams and comprehension. So I think we've done this already. I, look at verses 1 and 2 again. 
this way. Verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not delight in the counsel of the wicked, nor delight in the path of sinners, nor delight in the seed of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You get that? That's really what that, that's saying there, right? We have people, we have moments, if you will, perhaps we're there, perhaps we were there, when we delight in wickedness. Why? Why do some people delight in wickedness? I was somewhere between the age of 10 and 15. I just can't remember. I was a young kid, young man. It depends on how old I was, I suppose. But I was young. And I remember asking my mom. I was starting to wrestle with Scripture, and I was starting to just try to make sense out of all this stuff. And it seemed like sin was really bad in the Bible. Like, I got that. Like, that didn't take a lot of brain power for me to figure out. Some bad things happen on these sinful sinful people, and good things happen to righteous people. And I asked my mom, I said, well, I don't get it then. If sin is so bad, why do people sin? Why do they delight in sin? And this is what she told me. She goes, because there's delight in it for a season. We tend to sin because there's some element of delight in it. And God wants to replace that delight and have us delight in His Word. Delight is a feeling of extreme satisfaction or joy or pleasure possessing something precious, like costly jewels. I hope we feel that way about God's Word and we treat it as such. You can see the parallelism. We talked about that last week in verse 1. You can actually see it in verse 2 and 3 as well. to walk and then to stand and then to sit. So when it says to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, these are teachings, thoughts, positions that are contrary to the Word of God, not necessarily just in the form of people. We learn in a lot of different ways. We just need to be careful that we are feeding ourselves with God's law and not the world's law. To be sure, part of what makes us righteous and blessed is what we avoid. Is it not an act of love to tell our kids not to touch fire, not to cross the street without looking, not to talk to strangers? That is an act of a gracious, caring, loving God. It's not all God tells us, but it's a part of it, right? Absolutely. Another way to look at this progression in verse 1 Right? The walk, the stand, and the sit. If this helps, is, I just kind of made this up, right? Advice, activity, and assembly. We tend, we, right? We listen to advice. All of a sudden, we're involved in the same activity of the world. And now, all of a sudden, we're perhaps in the assembly of the world. Running with the wrong crowd, whatever that looks like. That's happening in the church. Not this church, of course. We're above that. I really believe we are. It's a great church. But let me share with you, I think I referenced this last week, a book called Churchless. A couple categories of things where our stats are no different than the unchurched as churched people. It's kind of freaky. Ready? Changed your lifestyle to have a more positive impact on the environment. No different than the unchurched. All right, that's not a big deal to me anyway. Maybe a little. Used profanity in public. Same as the unchurched. Bought a lottery ticket or placed a bet. Same as the unchurched. Gossip. Said something mean or untrue about somebody else. Same as the unchurched. Had an intimate sexual encounter or physical relationship outside of marriage. Same as the unchurched. 
took actions to, uh, to take revenge or to get back at somebody who offended you, same as the unchurched. Told something to someone that you knew was not true, same as the unchurched. Stole something that did not belong to you, same as the unchurched. I don't think that's us. I think we're above that. But you get my point, right? I'm not, I'm not into legalism and stuff like that, but I'm telling you, even in the church, we have to be careful in the church about knowing God's law, the law of the Word, and the law of the world. Amen? So, questions, challenges. How does your daily life delight in the Word? How does your daily life delight in the Word? How does your daily life delight in the world? Wrestle with God about that, I pray. I look at what's going on here in Psalm 1 kind of like this. It's like a, you know, that ring announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, the counsel of the wicked, the path of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. Waiting in the other corner is the law of the Lord. It's kind of what it's like. Meditate day and night, it says. His delight's in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. That's that uh, intensifying or uh, parallelism, right? Or specifying parallelism, where it's like, oh, I delight in God's law. Let me finish the verse, right? But, but His delight's in the law of the Lord. Yeah, that's me. In His law He meditates day and night. Oh, that's not me. That's what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. And I understand that that's difficult. It's hard. It's hard as a disciple of Christ to have the discipline, as us disciples should have, to do things necessary to walk faithfully with our Lord. It's a challenge. But on some level, it's what we signed up for, right? So to meditate day and night is to think intently and at length for spiritual matters. Nothing's more important with our time than spiritual matters. I hope it's okay for me to say this. I think it is. The Rock Community Church is not where that's going to happen. The Rock Community Church cannot be responsible for you meditating on the Word day and night. Does that make sense? We can initiate your delight. We can enhance your delight. But we cannot become your delight. We're together for 35, 40 minutes of teaching and preaching, whatever you want to call it, and that's it. I'll see you next Sunday. That's it, right? To delight in the law of the Lord day and night requires you to do that. We can help we can assist, we can initiate, we can enhance, but we cannot become your delight in God's law. Is that okay? In my 35 years of being a Christian, every person that I've ever met who has delighted in the law of the Lord also delights in God. Torah in Yahweh. And trusts Him for His prosperity in their lives. Every person. Turn to Isaiah 58. This is so cool. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. There's one saying, we, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Everybody's heard that? Fake it till you make it. Eh, that's, that's not bad. That's, that's okay. Um... Diane uh, Kohlhaas is going to kill me because I can't remember. She's got a master's in like clinical psychology and there's a clinical term for what I'm going to say and she shared that with me during breakfast and I, I forgot it. I should have wrote it down. In spiritual formation, they call it lead with the body. 
lead with the body. Right? Sometimes we just have to lead with the body. Just have the discipline to do the right things and then God will follow behind that. Right? 58.13 If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. Can I get an amen? And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sometimes we have to just lead with the body. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 1. He will be like a tree planted firmly by streams of water, yielding fruit in season. Leaf won't wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind blows away. The fruitful life is similar to what? We're like a what? A tree. And in that same verse, there's tree, there's water, there's fruit. This is the creation account stuff from Genesis 1. This is good stuff that God takes us and He creates life-giving material. like We're like a tree, fruit-bearing tree. We're life-giving and we're pleasing to God. The tree has a hard surface. It's immovable. It's firmly planted. When we are delighting in God's Word, we are not uprooted in our faith. We're not penetrated by the schemes and the lies of the enemy. In verse 1, we see the word blessed. In verse 3, at the end, we see the word prosper. That's just the ends of the sandwich. That's the outside. In verse 2 is the meat. The meat of 1, 2, and 3 is not blessing, it's not prosper, but it's to delight in His law day and night. That's the meat of the blessing and that's the meat of the prosperity that God's talking about. Amen? Leaf does not wither, to shrivel as with a loss of moisture, to decay or to wear out. We, when we're delighting in God's law day and night, we won't shrivel. We won't wear out at the happenings of life. I've talked to many people over the years and it just seems like they're just, they're losing ground, if you will. They feel like they're shriveling. They feel like they're dying out. The Word of God will prevent us from doing that. Our leaf will not wither. Prosper, the end of verse 3 means to thrive, to make steady, favorable progress in God's eyes, to be strong, effective, useful, to flourish. Look at Psalm 92. This will help us understand prosper. Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. That's where we will flourish, in the courts of God. Not in the courts of this world, nor the things of this world, but in the things of the Lord. Amen? Verse 14, They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. I love that. We have a healthy, broad range of generations in this church. And I'm telling you, that verse reminds me of our church. We have some fruitful people in this church. And I love it. 
commentary. I apologize. I normally reference who I got something from. I missed it. I lost the reference. Just for full disclosure, I just missed it. First, this commentator says, first the fruit, that is the prosperity, is produced in its season. Not always after immediately being planted. We understand this about harvesting, right? Second, what the godly person does will be controlled by the law of God, as it says in Psalm 1, verse 2. So, if a person meditates on God's word, his actions will be godly, and his God-controlled activities will prosper. That is, they will come to their divinely directed fulfillment. Verse 4. Instead of a tree, if we're not like a tree, we're like what? Chaff. It's kind of funny. There's just not much to say about chaff. It's eight times in the Bible, and all eight times chaff is brought up, there's wind. Every time. And that's it. There's just not much else in there. Chaff, wind, see ya. In all cases, there's wind, which easily blows the chaff away. There's just nothing. It's just meaningless, empty lies. We, we, know, we know the stories, you know, people that have lived their lives and they're chasing after the wind, as they say, and then they come to know the Lord and the life was just meaningless. It was just, it was chaff. They were describing a chaffless life. That was me until I got saved at 15. This is just not chaffless, chaff life. It's just a bad life. Meaningless, pointless. Verses 5 and 6, not much to say there either. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. One's going to paradise, one's going to perish. That's what those verses say. Not much more to say. But I do want to address the first part of verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, not us. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own, and my own know me. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. What I want you to hear in that is we're not God. We need to be careful not to pretend we are. The Lord knows who are His, and we don't. And sometimes I think the church is guilty of beating each other up and pointing fingers, and this preacher said this, and this preacher said that, and this person this, and this person that. That's just not our place in most cases. That's just, just, just not our place, right? There's some, I get it. There's some whack teaching. I, I, I understand that. But the Lord knows those who are His. And I don't want to grieve the heart of God by, by picking on those that might be His. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive about this and I'm trying to make a point. I hope I'm doing that well. just want us to be careful and trust the Lord that He knows who are His. Matthew Henry, in closing, Matthew Henry He's a theologian from the 1700s. He says, The character of a good man or woman is given by the rules he or she chooses to walk by and to take their measure from. What we take at our setting out and at every turn, whether the course of this world or the Word of God, is of material consequence. An error in the choice of our standard and an error in the choice of our leader the standard being Torah, right? And the leader being Yahweh. If we make an error there, it's original and it's fatal. But if we get it right, we are in a fair way to do well. Departing from evil is that which is in which wisdom begins. He goes on to say, The entire affection which a good man has for the law of God, his delight is in it. 
He delights in it, though it be a law, a yoke, because it is the law of God, which is holy, just, and good, which he freely consents to and therefore delights in it. All who are well pleased that there is a God must be well pleased that there is a Bible, a revelation of God, of his will, and of the only way to happiness in him, Yahweh and Torah. They go together. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. If you want to turn there, that's great. And we're going to pray right after this. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, of course, we always have our prayer team available to my left, your right. If you need prayer for anything, please come up for prayer. In closing, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Yahweh and Torah. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Trust me, the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought. The year of drought comes. That's life. Nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this kind of goes back to the first part of verse 6 in Psalm 1. I, the Lord, search the heart. The Lord knows who are His. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. The Lord delights in those who delight in His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have favored status with you. What a blessing. We thank you that we have your law that guides us. That we may prosper in your courts. And for that, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your love is so extensive and so deep and so rich that you have given us your holy word to lead us and guide us through this crazy thing called life. And we praise you for that. Lord, we pray that you were honored here this morning. We love you. We love the work that you're doing here in this church. Continue to mold us and shape us into the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Enjoy the holiday weekend. Great to see everybody.